Welcome to the LBC podcast where we explore Christian theology and practice for the building up of God's family. My name is Josh White. I'm the Adult Ministries Director at LBC. And today we have kind of a fun but also challenging topic for you. So recently we've been in the book of Revelation, specifically looking at the, the different churches that are addressed in the first couple chapters and we've been focusing on how we are to be a faithful church in really a time of craziness. And with that, um, there's a lot of craziness that's going on in the world right now as well. And so a question that has come up is, are we currently in the end times? And so that's the question that we want to take some time to answer today. And to help me answer that um, is Pastor Eric. So thanks for being here with me. Oh, thanks for having me. We should have some fun with this topic. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and dive right in because we have a lot of content that we want to cover. Sounds good. So when we think of the craziness of, going, of what's going on right now and we talk about the end times, why do you think, what are some reasons that people might be concerned right now that they're currently experiencing the end times. Yeah, I think anytime there's an election, pe- this kind of talk comes up, people think, oh, this is the end. And I think anytime there's a lot of uncertainty that people can't explain or put reason to, uh, one of the conclusions is, is this the end of the world? You know, is this, are we in end times? And I think when you look back in history, you can tell people naturally go there. They wonder, they wonder. And so I'm not surprised with an election plus a COVID-19 plus an unsure economy, you know, plus schools. Are we going? Are we not going? Um, People being told what to do, people disagreeing, political turmoil uh, that they wouldn't ask that question. And so my hope is here we can help make some of this more simple um, and bring some biblical clarity to what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah, I think some other reasons people tend to think that we might be in the end times is, you know, things seem to be getting worse, right? not better, you know? So I think that causes people um, to think about the subject of end times when largely when things are normal, so to speak, people right. don't really think about end times that much. The subject is often kind of avoided. Um, in addition to that, I think people um, also just don't have a biblical understanding of end times. Yeah. And so um, they correlate end times with other things in the culture that have shaped their mind on end times. And so that's why it's um, a great opportunity for us to take the time to explain biblically how do we think about end times. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So to clarify what we mean when we say end times, um, how is that how do, how is that term really used? What do we mean by the term end times? Yeah, well, let's see if we can bring some clarity. First, let me try to say this really clear. Um, it's not a novel, a book about fiction that was never meant to be a book of education. And so when we see movies and books that have all of these uh, heightened events, um, that's never meant to be our guide. 
our guide has to be the Bible. And so let, let's start there. So if your understanding has come from fictional reading, let's dispel this, even if it was a Christian author, right? Um, second, I think there's some confusion about different events in the Bible um, that get categorized uh, improperly. So I want to take some time maybe to run through quickly what are some of those views and bring some clarity to it and hopefully help people go, oh, okay, I understand what you're saying now. And that makes sense. So that's going to be our goal. Uh, so we're going to talk primarily about two positions, right? There's the all millennial position and the pre-millennial position. Um, there are other positions, but they're not as predominant as these two. So first, the all mill position. Um, millennium or millennial means a thousand, right? The, the number a thousand. And then A means no. So when you put it together, it means no millennium. And so they would say that we are um, in a symbolic thousand years. So there's no direct time. We just know Jesus will come back and that the thousand years is symbolic of a long period of time. And so in their view, we're living in the long period of time and Jesus could come back at any time. Now, that's the part of the position that is most helpful to understand. Even in an all mill position, Jesus comes like a thief in the night. Uh, we can't put a map and figure it out. We can't take a president's name and spell it backwards and times it by seven and get 666 and the Antichrist. Um, it, it's an undefined Jesus is coming back, right? Like a thief, you won't know, be ready. Um, and so there's all types of different interpretation within all mill, uh, but they all would agree on the, he's coming back like a thief in the night. Now, pre-millennialism, start with again, thousand years, right? Millennium means a thousand. And then pre means something will happen before the thousand years, okay? Uh, and for a pre-millennial, uh, which what we would be, is a literal thousand years. And so um, something will happen before that thousand years. That's why the word pre is there. Now, the millennial part stands for where Jesus will come back with the church uh, to rule and reign from David's throne in Jerusalem. Right? And so that period of time, sometimes people think is the end times, um, but we won't, we know we're not there, right? Because a rapture hasn't happened um, and Jesus isn't on earth reigning from his throne, right? So then the next part is, well, what happens before the thousand years? Um, that's called the tribulation and the tribulation is seven years. And so there's different thoughts on what happens before in the middle of or the end of the tribulation, okay? So let's start with uh, the mid-middle of the tribulation. That's called a mid-trib position. Not a lot of those people out there, but they believe the church goes through three and a half years, then gets raptured, and then the last three and a half uh, happens, and then Jesus comes, rules, reigns, all that fun stuff. Then the post is the end of the tribulation, they go up to be with Jesus, and then they come right back down immediately, and then it rules and reigns. We would be a pre-trip. So Jesus comes back, raptures up the church, the tribulation happens, and we come back down with Jesus. So I think some people mistake the tribulation as end times as well. 
And so what we would say is we need to be ready like a thief in the night coming that we'd have no clue. Jesus will come and take us. The other part we see in Scripture is that uh, we're told that the church will not bear the wrath of God, right? And in the tribulation, you see the wrath of God poured out on the world. And so, you know, and that also goes to keeping the church and Israel separate and has all kinds of things. But for this, we're trying to be simple, right? And and simply put, in our position, you need to be ready because Jesus comes and we don't know when and we want to be ready and we don't know what could happen tomorrow. Uh, Jesus tells us, let tomorrow take care of itself. And so that's really where our focus needs to be. Absolutely. So some things I'm hearing you say to clarify the the thousand year period is such a big deal because it's specifically described in the book of Revelation yes. in chapter 20. So yes. in in that section of scripture, it says that there will be a thousand years specifically with uh, Christ reigning. Yes. Um, and so in the two different positions, the all-millennial position interprets that as a spiritual reign. Yes. So it, it's it's not going to be a literal thousand years right. in the future. And they would also say that, that we're in that period currently yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, and so the position that we would sub- subscribe to um, here is that uh, that will be a literal thousand years where Jesus literally reigns yes. from the throne of David on earth. Yep. And that's in the future because it hasn't happened yet. Yes. Um, and, you know, some of the other events that are associated with um, the end times you mentioned are uh, the rapture, mm-hmm. the tribulation, and yep. then again, the millennial kingdom. So in a, in a pre-millennial uh, end times view, what we're saying is that those events are going to take place in that order. Yes. So the rapture is going to happen. Yep. Then the tribulation. Yep. And then the millennial kingdom. Yep. Will happen, and after that, we'll see judgment and new heaven and new earth. Yes. Very succinct. Yeah. So that's kind of a summary of what we subs- subscribe to as far as end times go. Yes. So with that in mind, what are some things that help us understand? the end times. Yeah, I think understanding the sovereignty of God, understanding uh, the kingdom of God, and also understanding our role within those two things. And so uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 19 uh, gives you some good insight. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us, who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And the reason I put that there is uh, when we try to make sense of God, sometimes it's foolishness. In the world, um, all it can offer us is foolishness as well, meaning God knows everything and we don't. And it can be foolish sometimes to try and put facts and events together to try and say, this is what God is doing, you know. And you see that the cross by nature is folly to the world. And so by by nature of that, they're going to think 
the end of the world is folly, or they might take bits and pieces. And so when it comes to the sovereignty of God, we have to take his cues, right, and take his word. And it involves a lot of trust. Um, another verse that I like to think of when I think of end times is Job 42 two. Um, Job has kind of given God his view of the way things should be, which I think we do with end times. You know, this has to be it. This has to be the, you know, it doesn't make any other sense. And, and God reminds Job of who he is. And Job says in Job 42 two, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is that that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And I think that's where it's very important to say God does know. Therefore, I trust him. Um, I need to worry about what I can control, um, which is myself, right? And how I act and respond each day. And when we try to figure out the business of God, it can really take us off in a far place and miss the things that we are to do and we can control. Um, so I think God's sovereignty brings a lot of hope, a lot of peace, and a lot of clarity. Um, and then understanding the kingdom part would be kind of like our role within that, which which we'll get to later. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with the kingdom part, it, it really is kind of like the overarching theme in a lot of ways of yeah. scripture. And so the reason it's important is as a key aspect of understanding end times is because the events that we've already mentioned, the specific events of the end times, in a lot of ways don't really make sense if you don't have a good understanding of the overarching theme of the kingdom of God yes, and, and the, the way that the scriptures are pointing to that in the future. Um, so digging a little bit deeper on both of those subjects, when we talk about the sovereignty of God and what, what other ways, you know, is uh, the sovereignty of God comforting as we talk about end times, because I think end times can be a little bit daunting to people and scary um, but I think part of your point is that there's incredible comfort in knowing that God is sovereign over all things, including the end times. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a verse I like to remind myself of is Isaiah 45, 7. It says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And, and the reason that brings me comfort is... I know it's either one of two things. God has allowed this craziness to happen or God is causing this craziness to happen. Um, and the two are not the same. When we look at the flood, um, God caused the flood. When we look at Job, God allows Satan to um, cause uh, his health to fall apart, his world to fall apart. And so if, if God's sovereign, either by allowing it or causing it, He's not caught off guard. He's not surprised. And he knows what to do. And I don't know what to do. And, and there should be almost a natural um, reality for us that we don't know what to do. That's why we pray. Right? That's why we go to the sovereign one. So when you think of sovereignty, it should bring us much comfort. 
it should bring us much hope that he's not caught off guard and even though we can't make sense of it. Um, the other thing that's helpful for me is when I look back in history, there are so many periods of time that they thought they were in the end times. And my thought is when I look at our current situation, which I'll admit is very crazy, you know, with COVID-19, the election, the economy, it's just all crazy. But when I compare it to, let's say, World War One, World War Two, that era of time, I, I think if there was ever a generation that got to think it was the end of the world, it was them, right? Yeah. You look at Hitler as this maniac who wants world domination. He's killing off Jews, trying to eradicate them from the face of the earth. Um, America gets bombed, right? The atomic bomb gets dropped, right? All of these things, if ever there was a time, that was the time. And yet here we are, right? Still living, still progressing. And so uh, that gives me comfort to say, man, I know even they tried to figure it out and it wasn't. So why should I try to figure it out? Rather, let's focus on what does God have for me today? How can I be faithful? How can I be ready? How can I do all that he's called me to today? And just let the end of the world rest in his hands because he knows. And I can trust that he knows. He's sovereign. His son died for me. He loves me. I'm just going to trust him. And I try to boil it down in those um, two simple points. What's the result of sovereignty and love that I see on the cross? It should be trust. And then I can focus on my personal responsibility instead of trying to figure out this puzzle that I that I find through books, media, and two verses in the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's incredible comfort and peace that comes from, you know, knowing that God knows all of those things and that yes. we can trust him in that and that he, he hasn't given us the task of figuring all that stuff out. Nope. He's given us a different task yes. of being faithful to him and focusing on how we can represent him well and live for his glory and preach the gospel yes, today. <laughs> absolutely. So we mentioned that another aspect of understanding the end times is the kingdom. So a question that comes up is what role does God's kingdom play in the end times? Yeah, that's like an atomic bomb question, right? Yeah. Because there's so much misunderstanding about the kingdom of God. And I would love nothing more than to have you answer that oh, question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you went to seminary, right? Yeah, And I did. so, and you're more recently graduated than me. So I would love for you to explain that. And I'm just going to yeah. sit and listen. Yeah, and you can you can nod if I'm correct or not. We'll figure it out. Okay. Um. No, glad to, glad to answer that question. You know, the kingdom is such a big aspect of the scriptures. And I think yeah. people fail to understand that mm -hmm. and, and think that it really is more of like a New Testament idea. Right. And so we have to understand the kingdom from what the entire Bible says about it, just like we would want to do with any other subject. Yes. We want to know what the entire Bible says about it. One of the issues that we face when we think about the kingdom, especially just in within Christianity, is that the, the kingdom of God is oftentimes uh, widely misunderstood. 
And I think that some of that misunderstanding comes from the way that the kingdom is spiritualized in a lot of ways. And we see that within um, all millennialism, as we talked about before, that there's not a literal thousand year right. um, period. And so, but one of the the issues that comes from spiritualizing the kingdom is I, I think that it actually leaves people more confused hmm. than having clarity about the things um, that are to come. Um, and so it's been spiritualized in a variety of ways. Um, but it's important to understand what other scriptures say about it and specifically what does the Old Testament say about it. But before we get there, what, what I do want to say is that it's, it's absolutely clear in the scriptures that an aspect of God's kingdom um, is spiritual. Um, right. there, there's no doubting that at all. I think what happens, though, is that um, people take an aspect of God's kingdom and they make that the entire thing. Right. And what they've done is they've neglected what the rest of the scriptures say about that subject. So, you know, when we look at like Matthew 5, 3, for example, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, in this passage, in a lot of ways, Jesus is speaking to the way in which the kingdom is correlated to spiritual needs right. of people um, rather than um, physical ones. In addition to that, in John 18, um, Jesus also says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. And so clearly an important aspect of the kingdom is spiritual. Um, but just because that is an important aspect doesn't mean that that's the only aspect right. of the kingdom. And so it doesn't mean that there's not going to be a future earthly kingdom. Right. Um, and when we look at, we go all the way back to Genesis, and you see that the idea of kingdom of of a kingdom is at the very beginning. It, yeah. it really is God's original intention, um, being that He created Adam and Eve, and the intention was that they would fill the whole world yeah. um, with people, and that as they reign on earth, God obviously is reigning over heaven and over earth. Right, and so that idea of kingdom is is present at the very beginning of Genesis. Um, and so what we see is that even from Genesis, the kingdom was intended to be physical and spiritual. Both of those things are, are, are necessary to understand the fullness of God's kingdom. And then as we see the, the Old Testament progressing, we see that God's plan after the fall um, for salvation through Christ specifically comes through the people of Israel. Yep. Um, that, that he chose them to be his special people and to bring the Savior through um, their descendants. And even still within Israel, the idea of a kingdom was incredibly ingrained in their culture and in God's relationship with Israel. Yep. It was incredibly important. And we see we see the importance of the kingdom in the Old Testament really through the promises that God made to Israel. So we see specifically two promises that are tied directly to God's kingdom. The first promise is a promise of land yep. um, so that they would have a specific territory, a specific place where they would, where they would dwell. 
And we specifically see that in uh, Genesis kind of 12 through 17. Yeah. Um, and in addition to that, in Genesis 13, verse 15, it says specifically that that land will be a forever possession for them. Yeah. And then later on when the covenant is um, kind of made official, so to speak, in Genesis um, 15, it's described as an unconditional covenant um, for them. And then, and so we have specifically a promise of land to the people of Israel. And then in addition to that, we have uh, the promise that someone would reign from the throne of David forever. Mm. And yep. we see that specifically in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Um, think about the reason that those two things are important, land and and the throne. Yeah. Um, those are the two key aspects of a kingdom. Yep. A territory and someone to reign from yep. the throne. And so throughout the Old Testament, you see that those promises reaffirmed as being unconditional, as being forever promises. And so it makes complete sense that Israel expected a literal kingdom on earth. Yep. Um, and the fact that they expected that does not go away in the New Testament. Yep. And we see that specifically in the way that the, the disciples address Jesus before he ascended. Um, we, could, we, we see very clearly that this concept of a literal kingdom was, was on their hearts and on their minds and something that they expected. We read Acts chapter 1, specifically verse 6 and 7, and this is what it says. Uh, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. And so if you notice in the first part of that, that the disciples were still expecting a literal restoration yep. of Israel in a physical um, kingdom. And, and the reason that they expected this is that the Old Testament is abundantly clear that it would happen in the future despite Israel being exiled from the land. Yep. And specifically, we see this in Ezekiel 36, 22 through 36, Ezekiel 39, 23 through 29, Jeremiah chapter 29, Isaiah chapter 60, Deuteronomy chapter 30, and Zechariah chapter 10. It's a lot and of verses. Those are just a few of the most specific places that we see this concept of Israel being restored in a way that they had never been restored before. They had been restored several times throughout the Old Testament, brought back from exile, but never in the way that these passages describe that yep. they would be restored. And so clearly the disciples were still expecting that there was going to be a literal restoration of yep. Israel and a physical kingdom on earth. And secondly, notice Jesus's response to them. There are plenty of times throughout the scriptures in which Jesus corrected the thinking of the disciples. Yes. Notice that he does not do that in this circumstance though. Yeah. He, he simply says that the times and the seasons that the father has fixed are not to, for them to know. And so the implication is not that a physical kingdom is not going to happen. The implication is the opposite, actually, that 
it's going to happen in the future, which is consistent with what the Old Testament says, yes. but it's not for you to worry about right Absolutely. now. Because again, as we talked about before, God is sovereign over that. You don't need to worry about that right now. Jesus was saying, I've given you something else to do right now that's incredibly important. And so you don't need to worry about the physical restoration of the kingdom right now. Absolutely. You know? And so why I've given a lot of information about this subject. Why is this really important as it relates to end times? Um, I, right now, there's, there's, there's kind of an issue within Christianity and within end times of this idea that it's our responsibility as Christians kind of to usher in the kingdom. Yes. To usher in the end times. And, and that's really the farthest thing that we see from what the scriptures say. Um, the problem is that God's kingdom is coming not because of something that we're going to do. Yes. God's kingdom is coming because he's faithful to fulfill his promises. Yes. And so regardless, really, in a lot of ways of what happens with us, his kingdom is coming, not according to us, but to fulfill what he has promised and what he has said he will do. Yeah, um, it's almost like uh, there's this picture of God waiting on us, and he's like, come on, guys, come on, guys, you, you can do this. Instead of what you're saying, yes. the Father has a day fixed, absolutely, and he's going to keep his promise, and he's going to do it. Yeah. That's so clear. Yeah, and, and the piece that people miss is that, again, our responsibility is to preach the gospel. Yes. Why is that important as it relates to the kingdom? Because Jesus makes it abundantly clear that unless you trust in Christ, you are not going into the kingdom of God. Right. He says that specifically in John 3, 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Mm. And so understanding the gospel and believing the gospel is the only way that you enter the kingdom of God. And that's the responsibility that, that God has given us, that he's entrusted us with as it relates to, you know, you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that he's entrusted us with a message of reconciliation, that we would go out and, and preach the gospel so that people would believe. Mm. Um, and, and so it's not our responsibility to, to usher in the kingdom. You know, a verse that's misinterpreted a lot, I think, is um, in Matthew where we look at the prayer of Jesus yeah. and, and it says, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and that is often taken to mean that we have a part in the coming kingdom. Right. But really it is a declaration that his, his kingdom is coming to earth. Yes. And we need to be prepared for that. Yes. Well, and I'm glad you made that point because I think there's this uh, misconception that heaven um, can be on earth um, apart from the destruction of sin, right? And, and it all being over. As long as there is sin on earth, it will never be like heaven. And so to parse that out the way you did was fantastic. Your kingdom is going to come. Your will be done. And your will on earth is for us to be faithful. 
Right? It's for us to um, bear your name right? as a child of God. It's to show the goodness and the greatness. It's to give the glory to God until he's decided, right, that the kingdom comes. And I, I think it gives a false hope to people that we can make the world a better place when that's not found in the Bible. And, and as long as there's sin and there's Satan, there's going to be bad stuff on earth. Yeah, and It's not going to get better. I, I would argue it's, it was bad since Adam and Eve all the way to now. And it's always been bad, and it will be bad until God says it's over. Yeah, absolutely. So I think really what we see consistently throughout the Old Testament all the way through the New is that the Scriptures point to a literal kingdom. And there is absolutely a spiritual aspect of that kingdom. I like the way that John Wolverd put it, that you know, at, at the end, when there is a literal kingdom, and, and we're in that time where we're in God's kingdom forever mm. with him, it really is the, the perfect unity of those two aspects. It is the perfect unity of the physical kingdom and of the spiritual kingdom as well, that we're in a relationship with God. And so what we see in the end times is really what God had intended from the very beginning. Yes. You know, And so that's what we're looking forward to. That's what, you know we we're we're hoping for in some sense and a hope in a way that is certain not not in a way that is maybe it'll happen you know maybe it won't but what what i love is when you look at the way that paul views his relationship with christ specifically in philippians chapter 3 he talks so much about the surpassing worth of just knowing Christ. Amen. And he he understands very clearly the problem that he has no righteousness hmm. of his own and that it is only through the righteousness of Christ that he knows Christ and then that pushes him to say that I may be like Christ in his sufferings and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead because our hope isn't just to be with Jesus in a spiritual, right, Sense. In, in spirit and in soul. Our hope is that we will be with him physically, yes, in a physical kingdom, yeah, and that we will see him face to face. Yep. And so, you know, that's our message right now in this time. That in order to know God, you need righteousness, and mm. righteousness only comes through what Christ has done in the gospel. That's the work that God has given us to do right now. Amen, yeah. So based on some of those things that we've talked about, we've talked about a lot of the different aspects of the end times. To give a clear answer, I guess, are we in the end times currently? Yeah, and my clear answer would be no. <laughs> but the, the, the other part of that, part B, I guess, is that we need to be ready. Right? That's over and over again in Scripture that he's going to come like a thief in the night. And so have your affairs in order. This is why Jesus tells the disciples, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. There's enough worries of the day. Yeah. And we need to focus on today. And he didn't write the Bible in such a way to say, oh, when you take that guy's name and you put it in Hebrew and you times it by 12 and you divide it by four, oh, that's the Antichrist. He's coming back in a week. And I'll just do whatever. I'll party for a week. And then right on that last day, I'm going to be 
you know, repentant and read my Bible and then go. Uh, it's no, be ready at all times. Uh, be ready to give an account of the hope that is within you. It's very, very clear. And if we focus on our role, uh, we can trust God already has his role figured out, right? And when we try to take his job and ushering in the kingdom or uh, uh, deciding when that day will be, we get off track and we get off target. And, and those were things God never intended for us to figure out. Uh, he intended for us to trust him, that he keeps his promises and he is with us and he is faithful. And we need to be faithful until the end, even until the point of death, what yeah. we've been reading in Revelation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think an easy way, you kind of mentioned this earlier, you know, but when when Jesus talks about specifically the the signs of the, the, the yeah. end times, that specifically that's in Matthew 24. Yeah. Um, and one thing that he says that I think helps clarify that we're not in the end times is in verse 21. And so he says, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. So you kind of mentioned that icon, that idea or concept yeah. already, but when it's it's kind of like when you look at our current circumstances, can you really say that what's happening right now is worse than anything that has ever happened in the history of the world or will ever happen? Yeah, I you don't know? think you can say that. Yeah, it's it's it would be such a stretch just try to say that. Yeah, I, I think there's so much of the past we don't understand. But one, one of the things we can look at the Roman rulers of their time, they were ruthless. They persecuted Christians in, in ways that we're not even allowed to talk about. It's so crazy. Um, and that is happening in parts of the world, I would say for sure. Um, but to look at our situation and say just because things are hard, that puts us in the end times. You just can't get there scripturally or in, in history, in history's timeline uh, to do that. So uh, is are things hard right now? Absolutely. But to jump to the assumption of that makes it the end times, you know, God never promises we won't suffer. Yeah. So at the very least, what we should be saying is God told me life would be hard. Right? Sins in the world, life's going to be hard. Yeah. End of story. Uh, trust Jesus, trust God, and do my part. Yeah. Yeah. So as we kind of close things down for today, what are, you know, we've mentioned some of these already, but what are some practical applications that come from talking about and from studying the end times? Yeah. Um, I would encourage our church to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, where, uh, Paul is talking about what's going on uh, towards the end. He gives them some last words on these things. And I want to just read some of those verses. It'd be good for someone to read the whole thing, um, but just pick out some things that help us, right? So 5 verse 2, it says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, again, that's the day he's coming back, right? Will come like a thief in the night. Okay, and that's, pre-tribulation, right? Because let's, let's keep working our way through this. Um, verse three, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon the earth as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. 
But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Verse 5, you all are children of light, children of the day. We are not children of the night or of the darkness. Now verse 6, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And so what I see there is be awake, be sober, meaning do what you need to do. If there's people in your life you need to share the gospel with, you need to share it because he could come like a thief in the night. You don't want to sleep and think you have all this time. You want to be awake and sober. And I think uh, to, to contrast sober, to have drunk thinking, is to think, I have all the time in the world. It, it doesn't matter. And what he's saying is you don't know that, right? Be intentional in your Christianity. Uh, be thoughtful. And the way you talk to your kids, uh, your unsaved family, your unsaved friends, be faithful. You don't have always. You might not have tomorrow. Be consistent. And then you keep walking through this in verse 8. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and helmet the hope of salvation for God has not destined us for wrath, but to abstain, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So right there, he tells you, have faith, have love, and have the hope of salvation. So that's to be our role. Why? Because we're not reserved for the wrath of God to be poured on. As the church, we've been saved. We don't need to worry about the wrath of God coming on us, but we do need to be sober. We need to watch. We need to warn. And we need to focus on what God's called us to. And then that's why it's so important. You see, as he ends uh, the chapter in verse 11, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And so that means carry on, Christians, right? Uh, give God praise in all things. Um, practice repentance so that you can be an example of God's in control. I love him. I live by his rules. This is what a changed heart looks like, right? Be faithful to helping other Christians grow in their faith um, so that the world can see our love for one another. Um, share the gospel because uh, people don't know Jesus, can't be with God without accepting Jesus as the payment for their sins. So there's there's so much in there. Um, but if I had to summarize it, is be ready. And, and be ready would mean be prayerful. Read your Bible. Share your faith. Give God praise openly to, around people. And, and share the gospel when you can, because we don't know. And uh, control what we can, which is our response daily to who God is, and what Jesus did on the cross. And if we focus on that day by day, we will be a people who are ready, right? Who are sober-minded, who are keeping watch, as the Bible tells us. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And and I think, too, the more and more you study uh, in times passages, the more that you realize that God hasn't revealed these things just for the sake of having knowledge. Right. A lot of times when you read in times passages, they are uh, some of the most practical passages probably in all of the Bible mm -hmm. um, because they're tied to very practical applications. 
um, like you have mentioned. But yeah, we see consistently um, the idea of being ready, being awake, being sober-minded, being alert um, for the return of Jesus. And also uh, another verse that I love from 1 Thessalonians uh, verse 418, as uh, Paul kind of finishes out his section of talking about the rapture, he says, therefore, encourage one another mm. with these words. And so it's supposed to be something that encourages us to look forward to as we hope in Christ. Because I think one of the reasons that we hold on to the things of this world mm. is because we often fail to understand the beauty of what comes next. Ooh, that's well said. Yeah. And so I think the more and more that we can be in the scriptures and see the beauty and the majesty of God and the beauty of what it's going to look like to, to, to be with him in his kingdom, uh, knowing him intimately and with, with those who have trusted in Christ as well. It's, it's a beautiful thing that gives us hope in the midst of the craziness that we experience in the world. Yeah, I would add with that, you know, we when we start to think earth is supposed to be like heaven, we get this idea that we should have a earth better than it is, right? And that these crazy sinful actions should be stopping. Instead of saying, no, God has called me to be faithful in this crazy time, to give him glory, to be a light in darkness so people see the hope of Jesus who is coming back, right? And offer an invitation for them to be with Christ when he comes back. And the scripture is so clear in that picture that only the father knows. And they use the idea of a Jewish wedding in the scripture that the father will um, announce when the son has prepared a place and is ready to receive his bride. And the son is Jesus and he's going to come back to gather his bride to be with him forever. And so that's just a beautiful thing that we wait expectantly for Jesus to come and take us to be with him. And that is such an exciting thing. And as we eagerly anticipate where to be faithful, right? Prepare our heart, mind, and soul to be ready for that day. And that means we need to take each moment, each day intentional. No president can ruin that. No dictator can change that. No earthly power can change that Jesus is coming back for us and we need to be ready for that day. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here, Eric. That was a ton of fun to yeah. discuss that subject. With yeah, you. it was fun and I, I hope it made sense. You know, we covered a lot of material. Joss actually did a great job of explaining the kingdom. And I, I would say that we would both admit there's volumes written on all this stuff. Yes, And absolutely. so we tried to take a, an academic mixed with a pastoral approach to help build up the church and help them have hope and, and have more clarity in what the Bible says. Absolutely. You've been listening to the LBC podcast, a podcast of Laurel Glen Bible Church located in Bakersfield, California. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend and subscribe to stay up to date on all new podcasts. Thank you for listening. We hope that this was a blessing to you. We'll see you next time.